morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we're going to be in verse 31 and following in just a few moments. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the ministers here. We're glad you're with us. I need to tell you where we're at so you understand why we're talking about what it is today. Uh, we've been studying the words and teachings of Jesus from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've done our very best to put them together chronologically, uh, in other words, from when the beginning of Jesus' ministry and folding all of the books together in one narrative where Jesus would speak. We're in the final week of his ministry, uh, the Passion Week, as he teaches us. And we've been trying to understand who God is from the words of Jesus, who we are to be through the words of Jesus, and what kind of world are we living in, and what are the challenges of following him. Uh, today our theme, as you can see behind me, is judgment. So if you're keeping uh, notes uh, in the notebook and you're, you've been uh, highlighting which of the themes so when you study in the future you can remember, uh, judgment is the icon or theme for this morning. Uh, while you're preparing that and, and you're gener- generously giving uh, to ministry throughout the world in the offering right now, I want to remind you that next Sunday night, August 11th at 6 o'clock here in the worship center, we're going to have our end times forum. Now I want to be real honest with you. Uh, I've asked three Bible college professors from Ozark Christian, uh, uh, guys that I trust and admire that are going to be here. They don't have uh, all the answers, but they're going to show you what the Bible does say, hopefully destroy some myths that aren't true, and lead you into some passages of Scripture that will help you understand what has been said about the end times and how do we live in light of all of that. Because if you're just coming for facts and it doesn't change the way you live, we're missing the whole point. But we're going to have the cafe open, and it's going to be 6 o'clock, and I assume it'll take an hour, 75 minutes, and uh, we just invite you to come out here. There's an opportunity for you to send questions in by text or email. That information's on the screens uh, playing out in the foyer uh, after service. The slides will run again. You'll be able to get that information. So we encourage you to uh, send in the questions or come prepared that night to ask questions, and uh, we'll put our panel to the test and see what the Word of God says and how do we live in light of the end times. All right. Today's theme is the judgment. It's not a popular theme. It's not a theme that many people want to think about. In fact, it has a bit of controversy to it because in today, uh, today's times, if you read books or listen to contemporary preaching, there's a lot of questions about whether Jesus actually meant what he said. So today we're going to let him speak and see what the Word of God teaches. Well, we've been studying over the last four weeks about the end times uh, and specifically in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, uh, where Jesus is giving the, the, the discourse on what's about to take place. The thing that I want to remind you, that we need to keep the lens on uh, and keep us focused uh, the, the proper way, is that our test of discipleship is to live in confidence of what Jesus has told us. A disciple hears the words of Jesus, understands the words of Jesus, and opens himself or herself up to those. It Discipleship is not just taking salvation. It is taking salvation so you can live the life that he wants you to live. It's not just receiving a a removal of our sins for the past. It's learning how to live and follow. That's why we've been studying for almost two years now the teachings of Jesus and how do we go on into discipleship. So let's talk about our first point this morning, the judgment of Jesus. It's why I've entitled today's message, The Truth of the Judgment. What does Jesus tell us? Separated away from all the theories and all the books and all the fiction, what did Jesus really say? But I want to premise this by saying that to answer this, you have to believe in the integrity of God's word, the scriptures. And let me tell you why. 
Those scriptures in the Old Testament told us that he would come in virgin birth, and he did, that he would live a life without sin, and he did, where and how he would die, and that was fulfilled, and that he would be raised three days later from the dead, and that happened too. Those same scriptures that substantiated all the prophecies about his coming and his life here on earth also tell us he's coming back, and he's coming back in judgment. So if you're going to see the evidence and believe in the scriptures, you have to believe in the entirety of scripture. And the, and the judgment of Jesus is promised to be a glorified, resurrected body. Jesus will return and set everything into order the way God wants it. Jesus told us this, John 14, 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. Those are his words. Acts 1.11, the two angels that appeared at the ascension when Jesus left to go back to be with his father. And this Jesus, they said, whom you have seen ascend into heaven, he will return in the same way that you will see him go. So the angels attest to it. The Old Testament scripture attests to the, the king of glory coming, the son of man in the book of Daniel, appearing before uh, the eternal king and receiving his kingdom and his authority. There are two relevant questions this morning. The first is, what happens when he returns? The Bible said he's going to return. What happens when he returns? And secondly, if this is true, how do we live in light of it? How will it change the way we live if he is returning? So let's deal with the first question. What will happen when he returns? Well, the scriptures clearly teach Jesus will judge everyone who has ever lived. It's, it's something that people don't want to think about and they don't want to talk about. We live in a day where you're being told that you don't have to answer to anybody but yourself, and that's just not true. Jesus said he's coming to judge. John 5, 22. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 13, a picture is painted in the revelation that John received from God. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. There's, there's no question in Scripture when Jesus returns. He came as a lamb, he's coming back as a lion. And he will judge all. And let me tell you what, what we know about Jesus so you can understand his judgment. He will be accurate. He will make no mistake. He knows all of our hearts, thoughts, and lives. He will act justly and completely. To those who accepted his gift of grace, he will judge them without sin. And those who refuse his gift of grace, he will judge them for their lives. And he will make a perfect and just judgment. Shake your head if you agree with that. There'll be no mistake. There's no one going to be in hell going, I got ripped off. And there'll no be, nobody in heaven going, I deserve every bit of this. He will be just, he will be true, and he will be faithful. So let there be no mistake, when Jesus comes back again, he's coming back to judge this world, every single one of us. And if you're sitting there today going, I thought I was in, I don't, why am I being judged? Hold on. It's not as bad as you're worrying about. Jesus will judge accurately because he is God. The second principle, what will happen when Jesus comes back? is I just need to say it in a very short, terse statement. Not something I'm happy about. I'm not a preacher whose tail wags when he messes with people's minds. I want you to think about who Jesus is. Because the second point I want to make is, there is a hell. I don't like it. 
I don't want anybody to go there. But let there be no mistake. Jesus was not lying to us when he said there was eternal judgment in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The world today says God wouldn't do that because God is love and God loves us too much and he's going to say, oh, shucks, guys, don't worry about it. Let's all just go into heaven. Then he owes Jesus the greatest apology ever offered because he asked Jesus to go through hell so you and I wouldn't have to. There is a hell. Judgment for Christians and non-Christians, I think you might be interested in this. For non-Christians, what I mean by that is people who don't live by faith and have never given their lives and surrender to Jesus Christ, there will be a judgment of punishment for their lack of faith. For Christians, those who live by faith, there will be a judgment of reward based on your living faith. Very simply, those who don't trust Jesus are going to be taken away from Jesus. And those who trust Jesus are going to be rewarded for the gifts they bring him. One is a judgment of reward, and one is a judgment of punishment. And the beautiful part of this is, you get to choose which one you face. But you will face the judgment. Every single one of us. You see, for Christians, there's a judgment of reward. and For unbelievers, there's a judgment of punishment. But I need you to know that faith is what saves us. Living faith. Not a statement of faith you made when you were nine. That hasn't changed your reality. That hasn't changed your heart hasn't changed your path, hasn't changed your life. We live by faith, not make a statement of faith and then are good to go for the rest of our non-faithful lives. Shake your head if that makes sense to you. Unfortunately, for many people in religion, as long as they punch their ticket, they think that they're living the way they're asked to live. Remember, faith is not just saying you agree. Faith is living in agreement. And the judgment will be the reward of those who have lived by faith. In Romans chapter 2, Paul gives us a very stark warning. He says, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. That's either the most frightening sentence ever offered, or there's great relief to know that by the blood of Jesus Christ, what we've done is what we return back to him in praise, which we talked about last week with the parable of the talents. There is an opportunity to bring God gifts. And those who live by faith will seize those opportunities. So when people ask you or you read today or popular preachers are saying over and over that there is no hell, that it's not eternal, then Jesus lied to us because of the truth of the judgment is he's coming back in judgment and there is punishment for those who reject him. And there's reward for those who receive him. So the second question this morning is, how do we live because of this truth? Will I deal with Jesus today and become a friend? Or will I ignore him and live my own life and make him an enemy? You see, life isn't about who is better, smarter, more noble, or sins less. It's about who's repentant and submissive to their faith. I want you to hear that again. Because you confront it regularly, I confront it regularly, I don't enjoy conversations about hell, I'd much rather talk about heaven. But there are a number of people who are betting their existence, their eternal life, on the fact that they're better than their neighbor. Well, I'm better than this guy, and I try really hard, and I don't cheat, and I run an ethical business, and I've raised my kids, and they're law-abiding citizens, and all of that's true. But hear me again, life isn't about who is better, smarter, more noble, and sins less. 
Life is about who gives their life in faith to Jesus Christ and lives in response to their master. Because here's what I know. Jesus lived a life that I can't live because I chose to sin. And Jesus died the death I should have died, but he took it for me. And then for that reason alone, I'll never have to stand before my God in fear because the blood of Jesus Christ has given me status with my God as a child of the King. And I didn't earn a lick of that. I surrendered to the goodness of Jesus Christ and he gave me things I never could bring to myself. And those who stand before God in judgment are those who have decided to go their own way, do their own thing, and ignore the words of their teacher. Because they have not lived by faith. And they have ignored the opportunity. And for those who don't give their sin to Jesus, there remains a debt to be paid. And the Bible's made it clear that debt will be paid. Either by Jesus or by you. The Apostle Paul tells us then how to live in light of these truths. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that is, each one may receive what is due him for the things he has done in the body, whether good or bad. So we make it our goal to please him. Uh, I was pondering this week, had one of those weeks where I was somewhat thoughtful. And this one banged around in my head a lot this week. If I'm going to stand one day before one man who holds my future in his hands, why would I let anybody else's opinion about how I should live affect me at all? I I know some of you are going to think that all the time. I don't, so this is fresh for me. Truthfully, if I'm going to stand before one man who holds my future in his nail-scarred hands, why do I care what my government Why do I care what my community, why do I care what the world thinks about my choice to trust him by faith for all he's asked me to do? I should care zero. Because none of those entities or people can change one bit of my reality. Jesus Christ can. So how would I live in light of the fact that I'm going to stand before him one day as either having chosen to give my life to him or chosen to reject him? But the truth is we live in a world where the goal of life isn't that clear for some of us. We spend all of our days making people happy. We want to make our families happy. We want to make our coworkers happy. We want to make our bosses or our employees happy. We want to make our friends happy. We want the world to think well of us. We want our, our government to respect us as citizens and hear us. So we try to respect what they do. We live in all of this world of making people happy. Listen to Paul. We make it our goal to please him. And if the world's not pleased with us or you because you're pleasing him, you'll still find pleasure. But if you're not pleasing him and you're pleasing the world in which you live, you're going to find no pleasure, none that lasts, and none that changes the truth that life is not measured by how sinless we are, but how faithful we are. So let's put some realities to this. If all of that is true from Scripture, then let's listen to what Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 about what's going to happen when he comes back and how we're to live because of that. First of all, the truth of the judgment. Our choices matter. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Although in our culture today, it might. Our choices matter. Not choices that we want, but choices of the things that we're called to do. 
verses 31 through 33 of Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Now, I want to be careful right here that we don't extend this illustration beyond the scope of what Jesus used it for. For many of us, instantly, ooh, sheep good, goats bad. And so we think, oh, it's the judgment. Am I a goat or am I a sheep? Well, here's what I know, and I know nothing about farming. I know that if you're born a goat, you don't become a sheep. And if you're born a lamb, you don't become a goat. So I don't want you to extend this illustration to say, well, I'm a goat now, but I'm going to be a sheep. No, you're not. You're going to be a goat. The illustration is not the breed. The illustration's the shepherd. Notice what it says here. Verse 32, they'll be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I did some research on this. A.T. Robertson says that they would send the goats and sheep out together in herds, but at night, the goats can't stand the cold because they don't have wool sweaters. The sheep can stand more cold. So at night, when they came into the, the pen, the shepherd would stand in the gate, and when he called the sheep and the goats, he would take his staff, and when sheep came in, he would bump them to one side and bump the goats to the other side and separate the goats into a pen or into a cave where they could be sheltered from the cold and allow the sheep to be in a, another place. And the illustration, Jesus says, is when he returns, he will separate all people. He will. We won't vote on it. He's not going to ask what legislation was passed. He's going to stand there and going, you're mine and you never were. And that'll be the final word. So the choices we make in life will matter because as we've talked about for four weeks, when he arrives, everybody out of the pool, it's done. And the days of repentance and the days of living by faith, the opportunities will have ended. They're separated by the shepherd by their nature. Keep that in mind. Third point this morning, another reality of the truth of the judgment of Jesus is not only do our choices matter, but we are measured by our compassion and mercy. Jesus gives us the reason why we're separated by the way we are. We are measured by our compassion and mercy. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. This is a significant verse. It's highlighted in my physical Bible. It's one of those verses I need to remind myself of. Come, you who are blessed of my father. They're not blessed because they're special. They're not blessed because they're unique. They're not blessed because they're better than all the others. They're blessed of the father. It's the father's choice to bless. And God blesses those who respond to him as father. Learn this. You want to be blessed by God? Get in a relationship with him. It's how he does his blessing. And this is not a new plan. God didn't look down and go, oh, these people are crummy. i got to figure something out. It says from the foundation of the world, his intention was to bless those that were in relationship with him, which is why he created us. And to allow those who don't want relationship with him to have their final goal, which is absolute separation. So he's made it clear. From the foundation of the world, God's will has been to be in relationship with us as a blessing, or the curse will be to not be in relationship with him forever. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, 17. 
Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Notice the relationship there. Now, I was teasing first hour. I have, I have two heirs, and none of you are it. Well, Alex might still be here, but none of you are getting an inheritance from me. I, if I divided it up amongst this room, you'd, all get, you'd owe me two cents. But anyway, if I had something to give... The only two people that are going to receive an inheritance are going to be my sons because of the relationship of father and son. And you leave your inheritance to your family. Notice that God was the one who originated this whole concept. And when we're in a relationship with him, he will bring an inheritance to us as co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. Here's the practical side of this. Bottom line, Jesus is going to share what he's earned with a bunch of us who haven't earned it. And all that God gives him, he's going to share with us. I don't know about you, that's a good God. That's a generous, loving God. In verses 35 through 40, Jesus uses a powerful illustration. I want you to notice that there are some similarities in the two illustrations, and yet there's some dissimilarities. We'll see if we can find all of them. Verse 35. How does he separate us? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, notice that he's not talking about lambs and goats now. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Notice that they're surprised. Notice that those who are put as righteous are surprised by why they were separated that way. And they said, he said, when you've done these things, and their question back to him was, when did we ever do that to you? We don't remember ever doing that to you. And his answer was, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. You see, the basis of our reality in the kingdom is our mercy and compassion, because you cannot live by faith and treat people as less than you. Church, do we get that? Shake your head if you get that. You can't say that the love of God has changed your nature and then treat his children as insignificant. So Jesus says, your righteousness is showed by a faith that's living and active and serving, not a faith that simply nods its head and says, I agree. The church is full of people who agree with Jesus and it doesn't change a thing. Living faith changes everything. So he shows them that. Last two or three weeks, we've used this verse regularly. I love this verse. Micah 6, 8, the Old Testament prophet makes it clear to the nation of Israel. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Isn't that interesting that Jesus would use the heartbeat of that verse as the understanding of why the righteous and unrighteous are separated? Because faith demonstrates itself. To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's the life that faith produces. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they themselves will also answer saying, now listen to this, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? When did we ever see this and not take care of you? And he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Notice that they are not punished because they were evil. They were punished because their faith in him never changed their world. So many of us are thinking, I'm good with God because I'm better than most. I'm good with God because I don't break the law. I don't cheat at work. I've not had an affair. I don't do drugs. I haven't done any of the biggies. I'm slugging along. I'm a good moral person. I try to live ethically. I try not to bother people. I'm a good neighbor. I do all of these things. And the answer to scripture is, that's not what you were asked to do. Do we get that? It's not about being good. It's about being faithful. And faith stretches us out of our own standards and it compares us to Jesus Christ, which is a great standard to live to. It's living by faith. But notice that both sets, those that are righteous and unrighteous, they're surprised. Notice that they ask the same question. The question is, when did we ever do that? He said to the righteous, when you loved your neighbor and you sacrificed your things so they could have and you gave and you loved and you ministered and you showed mercy, that was me you were loving. But to the unrighteous, whenever you walked by a need of your neighbor and you said no to another person and you let them live in misery and you didn't offer them comfort and care, that was me that you rejected. And they're saying, we never saw you. And he said, no, no, if you loved me, you would love everyone. Doesn't that sound... Like the Bible, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to know if you're living a life of faith, Jesus has just defined it. You love your neighbor as yourself. Love, compassion, mercy. I think it's funny, neither the righteous or unrighteous are surprised at where they are. They're just surprised why they're there. Something to be said. See, one's nature had been changed by faith, and the other's nature had not. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep know my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And you cannot follow Jesus without obedience. You cannot say, Jesus is Lord and master of my life, if his words don't change your every day. If you come and agree, and think, and ponder, and walk away going, I think Mark may have been on to something. You've missed the whole point of our gatherings. It's not whether or not you agree with me. It's our discussion about the Word of God needs to seep into your life and create faith. Because I think Satan can use the church many times to have people hear what the Word of God says and get caught up in minutia and never go after faith. You see, my sheep know my voice and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus is exposing hypocrisy to say that I'm the, Jesus is my shepherd, and yet when he calls me home, I stay in the field I want to stay in, doing the things I want to do, eating the things I want to eat. 
No, a good sheep comes to the shepherd and the shepherd provides them what they truly need. So Jesus has made it clear. As disciples, if we align ourselves with the love of our neighbors, with mercy and compassion, we are walking by the faith that he calls us to walk by. And that faith will designate our nature so that when our Jesus returns, we will be so glad to see him and we will have souls to offer him and he will divide those that walk by faith from those who choose to reject faith. It's really that simple of a teaching. So what does it mean to us? The truth of the judgment is the difference is faith in action. It's our fourth point this morning. It's a faith that is active and living. Jesus said in verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I believe Jesus uses the word eternal there significantly. To say that when the shepherd comes back and divides the flock, it, at that point in time, it will be over. And those who have rejected faith will have chosen eternally where they will reside away from God and those who have chosen Jesus will be restored by Jesus into a perfect relationship with God. All of us in the Garden of Eden, it'll be pretty sweet. So the choices matter. Compassion and mercy and love of our neighbor matters because faith is in action. Now, if you're anything like me, and I, I know this is really weird for you to fathom, but when I write these things, and I'm sitting in my office studying, I'm thinking, if I were in the audience, how would I argue with me? So I, I pose questions that people like me would ask me sitting there. And one of the questions that would come to my mind this morning would be, I thought I was saved by grace, and now you're telling me if I'm not doing enough, I may not be saved. No, no that's not what I'm saying. So let's clarify I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Feel free to answer. Are you ever going to be good enough to earn God's favor? Are you ever going to be able to make up for your past sin? On your best day, are you even close to awesome? On your best day, you're probably more mediocre, right? I had one of those weeks. I don't know what your week was like. I had a week that was blah. I'm glad last week was over. I had very little energy, very little desire. I felt lazy, lethargic. Everything anybody asked me to do got under my nerves. I just had one of those blah days. So I was absolutely, did something I never ever do, and I got home and the house was empty and I turned on the television at four o'clock. I have 162 channels available to me on my television and there's not a cotton-picking thing to watch on any of it. And I've just come to this conclusion. I am saddened. This is the battle of my flesh and spirit. I am saddened by the reality that the best things this world tells me they offer me, I've outgrown all of them. And at 48 years of age, I'm looking at it going, Jesus, if you came back right now, I wouldn't shed a tear. I would for those who have refused you. I'm ready to get out of here. Check, please. I'm ready to go home. Because this world's offering me nothing that lasts. It's lied to me. and I've bought in the lies and I've scarred people and myself from it. I'm so tired. How about you, church? So now your preacher comes and says, do more, do more, do more. You can't do more. It's why you do what you do that we're talking about. It's not about, well, I need to do more. No. Are you loving your neighbor? That's living by faith. Are you loving them for Jesus? Are you honoring Jesus in your choices? Are you choosing Jesus above the world? Because there's 161 channels that are telling you how to live, and the Lord of Lords has told you how to live. Which are you abiding by? It's not about doing more. 
It's not just about agreeing with Jesus. It's about putting Jesus into play. It's not simply believing that Jesus came. It's living that he's coming again. Verse 40. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And as one of the least of these, I am so grateful what Jesus did for me. Why would I not live for him? Because I'm going to stand before only one man in my entire life and have to answer for what I've done. And I will not stand in front of a temporary king who's telling me what I ought to agree with and telling me how I ought to live and telling me what I ought to support. I'm going to stand in front of the one who created this world. And when he says something's wrong, it's wrong. And when something's right, it's right. And I only care what he thinks. Let the world say what it wants to say. Choose what it wants to choose. I know where I'm going to stand one day. How about you? And so don't let the world sway you. The words of Jesus are true. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, the love of Christ compels us. So will you let it? What will happen when Jesus returns? He will separate the ones of faith from those without faith, simply. And how are we to live in light of that? We're to live intentionally. We're to make choices of mercy and compassion. We're to allow our faith to live. But don't be mistaken. Living faith is scary because God will ask you to do what only he can do and you're only going to do it with him. You can't live independent. You can't leave God here. You can't shut him out of your home. He got to take him to work. He wants a relationship with you as father. It's about living for one and not for everyone else. It's about choosing to love everyone else because the one you live for has loved you. The love of Jesus compels us. Some of you this morning have never understood the love of Jesus. You've you've known he's coming as judge, and people have scared you with that. You better repent, or you're going to burn. I'm going to tell you the opposite. You better love him, because then you will be loved for the first time in your life. And if you're loved, it will change your nature. And you'll begin to see the worst person in your world as someone who needs the love you've just received. Because when our shepherd comes, he's going to separate us. By faith, we're saved. Not just agreeing that Jesus is right, but proving it. Can you live by faith? For some of you this morning, living by faith means you need to let Jesus wash you clean of your sins. You have sinned against God, you have sinned against yourself and against your fellow man. And you know what you've done. You know it's not right. You didn't need the Bible to tell you. Your conscience was pricked with the fact that what you did was wrong. And you want to be released of that guilt. You want to be released of that shame that only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. He went to the cross so we wouldn't have to. He went to hell so we wouldn't have to. And some of you today want to know what that is. Go to these tables that have lights lit. We would love to share with you what the Bible says, not what we think, what the Bible says. And for others... Time to walk by faith, compassion and mercy. Walk humbly with our God. This is the one. Because, here's what we all know. When he returns, we can go with him. 
Whether you're in the dirt in a grave or walking the earth when Jesus comes back, we will rise up, we will be with him, we'll be restored into the Garden of Eden, and everything he's ever promised will come true. And no man can match what he promises, and no man can do what he promises. Only Jesus can. And one day, I'm living and betting my life on that Jesus is going to come back, and when he says, everybody out of the pool, I know where I'm going. How about you? That's the Jesus we sing about. That's the Jesus we worship. Let's stand together.